everyone and welcome to another Scots We Hey podcast and today we're talking all about the Village Storytelling Festival and I'm joined by Emma Collins who is the creative producer of the festival. Hello Emma. Hello. And we've also got some other people who are involved, uh, Raymond Wilson, Diva Ivanoskita and Shona Curry and we'll hear more from them either but hello everyone. Hello. Hello there. So first of all, Emma, I think it'd be good if you could give us an overview of the village storytelling, not just the festival, but the centre that you're involved with as well. So the village storytelling centre is based out in Pollock in the um, in Glasgow, and it was founded in the year 2000. So it's been running for more than 20 years now, and it started out mainly serving that community and working with people in the community to give them um, an arts centre because there's, there, there was very little at that point out in Pollock. So it's been doing that for some time and the village works with communities across Glasgow and beyond Glasgow now and it uses storytelling as a way to support people to work through different things but also as a creative um, activity that people can take part in and people love it. The other side of the village is that it works to promote the storytelling as a kind of as an art form, as a theatrical pursuit, and it can take many different forms. And that's really where the, the festival has come from. So I, um, in 2016, when I worked for the village, founded the festival and it ran for two years then. And then it took a little hiatus. Um, the COVID pandemic and so on but now it's the year of Scotland's stories and they very kindly invited me to come back and create a festival for them this year mm -hmm. and the idea behind the festival really is that it looks at storytelling in a, a kind of broad sense and it looks at storytelling as a traditional art form but it places that on the contemporary stage and it also really embraces the idea that storytelling is one of our oldest and most democratic art forms. Everybody's a storyteller. You know, you're a storyteller standing at the bus stop in the morning and you're a storyteller on the stage at the CCA. And the groups that the village works with, the different communities that they work with are also storytellers. So we place their stories and the performances that they create on an equal footing with the professionals that we bring from across the UK and indeed from across Europe to perform at the festival. Um, so it has these wonderful performances by international storytellers and by our community groups and then it also has a range of other um, aspects around it like some workshops some family events and an exhibition which will be held out at Salt Space which is a, a cooperative gallery out in the Merchant City. Fantastic and that's the thing isn't it? It is across the city you've got various venues that you're going to be at. Yeah, so we our main venue is the CCA up in Sucky Hall Street, and then we'll also have our exhibition out um, in the High Street in um, in Salt Space, and we'll then also be back out in Pollock for a, a family mini festival on the Sunday to close off the festival and make sure that our own communities are really as fully involved as they can be. And we're also reaching out with an online program this year, so hopefully we'll have people attending from across the world potentially. It's, that's interesting because that seems to be almost the future of festivals, the things that people have found, you know, obviously with lockdown they couldn't get out, but festivals still, some of them still went ahead and you had this online aspect and this kind of hybrid that I think you're going to get from now on is, is, is very much interesting and gives you potentially such a bigger audience. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And I think um, I think it's really important for a lot of reasons to keep doing that, even though now you could, you know, there's nothing like being in the room with everybody and getting back out to live events. And I think we're all really excited about that. But we want to still include the people who maybe can't get out to those live events, either because they're geographically not near us or because um, they have other difficulties in attending a theatre event, be that childcare or any other thing that might form a barrier to actually attending theatre performances. And I think one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is we've become more inclusive in that way. And we want to make sure that we keep that inclusivity and diversity in the people who can come and see the work that we're going to be putting on. And you say this is the first time it's been on since 2017. Is it much bigger for yourself? Is it, is it kind of expanded since then? It certainly, <laughs> it certainly feels bigger. I mean, I think we had something like 40 events. We have people coming from six different countries. We have brand new work that I'm sure Raymond will tell you about. He's one of our new commissions. Um, and we have people who are contributing from to the online workshops from their own countries rather than being with us. It feels like a really comprehensive, exciting program. I mean, it's, it's brilliant to be involved with. And so how difficult is it to program something like this? It must be such an undertaking to, where do you begin? Do you go with people that you know and trust and then work from there? What's the process? Well, I think that we're really lucky in Scotland and in the UK to have such a wealth of amazing storytellers that we can draw on and bring into the festival. We've, we've um, as I said, been fortunate enough to run this twice before, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't just bringing people that we'd already worked with. Um, so what we've really tried to do is reach out across the spectrum of people who are doing different kinds of storytelling in Scotland and in the rest of the UK. And also we'll, we'll hopefully be having people from, um, from the Netherlands coming over to perform as well. Um, a lot of the work is gonna be performed at the festival for the first time. Right. And a lot of it's gonna be the, if it's not brand new work, it's gonna be the first time that it's been performed in Scotland. So we're really, really lucky to be able to be showcasing a whole um, number of brand new shows, including work that we've commissioned, but also people that we know that have had work in development that we were able to provide a platform for. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a huge jigsaw. I mean, it's, I mean, it's been so much fun and I feel so lucky to do this kind of job, but certainly um, being so spoiled for choice with all the amazing people that could come, it's been, it's been hard to narrow it down to, to get the programme that we have now. But I think, we've, I think it's going to be brilliant. That certainly sounds exciting and, and looking through it really kind of varied as well. Raymond, can you tell us a bit about not only what you're going to be doing, but how you get involved with the festival in the first place as well? Yeah, um, so, I mean, I, I tried, uh, proposed my show to the festival um, through uh, a, a listing on Creative Scotland. Um, and yeah, it was quite like a streamlined, easy, uh, kind of proposal application process um, and basically just pitched the idea and, and from there um, it gets sent to these guys and they, and they picked it up to be commissioned. Um, so my show is, is called I Hope Your Flowers Bloom. Um, it's going to be on the last night of the festival um, on the 9th, on Saturday the 9th um, at the CCA. Um, and basically it's, it's, it's an entirely new work. As I said, they commissioned it. 
And so as soon as I kind of got the go ahead for that, I started writing that and making that. And um, it's a show about a, a working class man who essentially uses a relationship um, with somebody to try and escape their environment. Um, and because they get brought out by this person into, into nature um, and sort of Scottish outdoors. Um, and it's about, kind of goes between the, this pair of friends and, and their relationship growing as they, as they go out on these day trips, um, but also these kind of descriptions of, of the Scottish outdoors. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it, it's just been a whole process writing this. I mean, th this is my sort of debut storytelling show. Um, so I've done, I mean, I'm a performer, that's my background, um, and I've trained as an actor. Um, but, I mean, just with the pandemic, I got a lot more, I just did writing more because I was inside and I was like, well, I can't sit and wait about for auditions and theatres to open and stuff. And so I've always done little bits of poetry and short stories and things like that. And um, it's, it's, I've kind of leaned a bit more heavily into, into making my own work because of the, the agency and that really. Um, and so this whole kind of process has just been me writing the work and, 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 and figuring out the differences between making a bit of theatre to actually making a, a, a story that I will tell on stage, you know. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's certainly been a, a learning curve and a, an interesting one as well. It's so interesting looking at all three of your uh, projects that you're working on. It shows you that there's, there's limitless ways, I suppose, of telling stories, or at least there's no, it shouldn't be um, restricted in any way. And that's what comes across. And what you've just said has got me thinking about the situation during lockdown where a lot of people went to writing, I think particularly creative folk, they maybe wrote more, but that idea of telling stories, that seems to be more of a kind of communal thing. You know, you might do it in the pub or you do it on the bus stop or wherever you might meet people. And that was kind of, I suppose you could do it over Zoom, but you know, it was limited in that way. So you've maybe got a lot of people out there that have these stories that they're itching to tell and they've not had a platform to do it yet. Yeah, for, for sure. It's, I mean, it's going from this model of the sort of classical way of, you know, a guy sitting in a room writing by himself to try to move that into a more collaborative person-to-person -person way of making art. Um, and I guess that's something the Village Storytelling Centre is all about, of this kind of communal way of, of making art, rather than just that model of somebody sitting in the room by themselves. Um, and that, that, that transition is, is, is interesting. Um, before I talk to Diva, Emma, this idea of what constitutes storytelling is interesting as well because as i say there doesn't you shouldn't restrict it in any way but a lot of people will think i know what performance poetry is i know what a gig is a live music gig i know what um theater is a one-man show or a one-woman show or whatever it might be but storytelling maybe like that. what does that mean in terms of um going to see it well, I think that people can debate this endlessly, and I would say that there's probably lots of different ways of being a storyteller and telling stories, but I suppose what they might find slightly different than a theatrical show is that it's often more about you and the storyteller, you as the audience and the storyteller interacting, so you feel like you're being told a story by an individual rather than the individual as pretending to be a character. So it's less about a sort of 
dramatic inhabiting of a character, let's say, as you might have in theatre, and more about you, Alistair, and me, Emma, we're together, and I'm talking to you, and I'm telling you that story. There's still, like, you know, there's spectacular elements. One of our shows got an aerial performance involved in it. There's also music that is set, but at the core of it, there's that kind of interaction between the person telling the story and the audience listening to the story and how they kind of have a, an experience together, if you like. It seems to me it's a very expansive and welcoming rather than limiting term. You know, you get lots of people could come with various ideas and do it, which actually brings us, Diver, to your involvement with connecting stories, storytelling in the early years in a post-lockdown world, which is a fascinating title in itself. Can you tell us a bit about that? So uh, the project, Connecting Stories, uh, um, was... Um, um, conceived by amazing storyteller, Sarah Rankin, and uh, she invited me to be part of the project and um, together to tell stories to the babies and toddlers and also uh, work together with the parents and uh, a filmmaker, uh, Andy Gunn was also a part of this project. So he filmed our weekly sessions and uh, we will see uh, a short film made by him uh, during the festival. So the Connecting Stories project explores uh, the experience of parents, what was like to welcome uh, the baby during the lockdown uh, when, <laughs> visits to the hospitals were limited when husbands could, uh, they had uh, partners had to wait outside during the scans and were welcome only to the active part of birthing. And um, what was it like to be alone at home without any baby groups, any baby showers, no uh, grannies, granddads around. So um, it's a huge, um, I think, a huge experience parents went through. And me, uh, I also am this kind of parent because in, nine, in 2020, uh, my daughter Alma was born. So I know personally what it's like to be a parent <laughs> during that time. Because I suppose children hopefully often get different stories from different people as they're developing. You know, as you say, you pass to the granny or you pass to, you know, whatever, sister or whoever. And uh, that probably in that way went out the window, that direct one-to-one -one storytelling. Yes, um, exactly. It's, uh, I think... Uh, Quite often in the groups of like baby toddler groups, we have all the focus on babies and toddlers. The stories are told, uh, uh, songs are sung to the babies and toddlers, but Connecting Stories project also gives space to the parents to reflect and tell their stories of this journey of becoming parents during this uh, really um, interesting times. And that they were the only point probably of uh, Oh, they, yeah, they were the ones who sang and told stories um, 
entertained and played with the children. Um, plus Zoom, <laughs> Zoom connection, <laughs> online digital connection. Like my daughter, she knows the words like Zoom and Skype, and she's not two yet. <laughs> It is incredible to think that that uh, certain children have grown up in their early years with this kind of slightly strange, detached uh, world. So, where is the? How can people see the show? Where is it going to be? And is it is it like a film showing? Is that the way it's going to work? Yes. So uh, people uh, will see it in uh, CCA. Uh, it's on Thursday, um, and at the beginning we will start with a film. And then there will be probably um, um, a talk, a presentation about the project and some um, uh, Q&A. Um, and we are hoping to see um, parents uh, and the children from the project as well. Uh, yeah. And afterwards, we will have an amazing workshop by the um, star catchers and uh, they will lead a workshop uh, of how to to develop skills working with the early years group. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. And is this the first time it will be uh, you know, shown? Is this the first time it's been seen? Yes, yes, wow. that's right. So uh, the first day I said, so it's July, 7th of July. Mm -hmm. And I have to check the time now. Um, it will be... Yeah, 10.30 a.m., 7th of July, in CCA. Fantastic. Uh, uh, Shona, I was looking at your show, Beware of the Beasts, and it sounds right up my street. Can you give oh. us a background on it? Yeah, so this is a family show, and it's a, sort of a traditional storytelling performance, which means it's not set, it's quite improvised, and it will be very participatory. But the idea is that, I don't know if you know this, Alistair, but a long time ago, the beasts, magical beasts, um, roamed across Scotland. And uh, but when the Industrial Revolution came around and humans started to be noisier and created more pollution and, and it all became much smellier, the beasts they went and hid in their homes in the caves and the swamps, etc. And so during lockdown, when humans have been safely tucked inside, the beasts have come back. And right. so this isn't a performance. This is a safety, a safety warning show. Um, and we kind of pretend that the stories are like case studies about how to avoid being squashed or turned into a nugget. Um, so it's about monsters and the traditional stories and relating it to the to the lives of the children. But at the end of the day, it's actually about being kind and being conscientious about who we share the planet with and our impact on it. So it should be a lot of fun. And I, I hope it's a bit of a riot. <laughs> it's quite energetic we could all do with a riot i think that sounds great but it also taps into that thing of scottish well i felt reading the kind of synopsis of it it tapped into that thing of scottish myths and legends and you know yeah exactly that the, the creatures that you catch out the corner of your eye because they're, they're they've taken aback yeah because these stories exist for a reason inside each of them is these creatures they have information about how we related to the world around us. So for example, um, dragons in our culture have a, um, are a way, a metaphor, a symbol for humans to process fear of the other, mm -hmm. or a way for us to understand hoarding or wealth inequality. So these, these, these 
things have a purpose as well. So, and we all understand that because deep inside us, maybe not initially, but we've been using these symbols for so long that we understand what it means to, what a fairy might mean. In Glasgow, actually, fairies are really interesting in, in Irish and Celtic and Glaswegian culture. And mm -hmm. um, fairies are often associated with infant mortality. Right. So it was a way to process the unthinkable. When you can't think about that thing that's happened, you can you can tell a fairy story or you could tell stories about a changeling, which is the story in which a, fa a, a child is replaced by a fairy. So they have a social purpose. And I think it's really important we don't forget that. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, sounds, it sounds fantastic. Um, and actually leads on to my next question, because you said earlier on, Emma, that this is part of Scotland's year of stories, which is happening, you know, for the whole year. Um, one, how important is this year? I, and I'll ask you all of just similar type of this question, but how important is this year? And do you think storytelling is often overlooked in the kind of modern world? Emma, I'll start with you if that's okay. Um, I think that it's wonderful to see a year where stories are going to be celebrated across the whole year. And I think that Scottish culture is rich with stories and so are the people living in Scotland who tell them. And of course, that's not just the people who are Scottish for want of a better word, but the people who come to our country and bring with them their own stories and, and so on. Um, so I think it's I think it's really important. Are stories overlooked? <laughs> I would I, I I don't know. I mean, perhaps in terms of a kind of festival. I mean, I, I think that people often people will not have been out to a storytelling show. They might never have realized that this is something that you can do, that this can be just as, you know, exciting a night as going out to the theater or whatever. But actually, yes, I think that um, it will be really brilliant for this year to highlight that, that storytelling is just as entertaining an art form with all of these other aspects to it, I think, that Shona was talking about. As, as any other, so I think it's it's really I think I think it's really great that the the year of Scotland stories is happening. Yeah, I, I mean, just what you're saying there about how perhaps nothing changes a, a culture or a society quicker than the different stories that come into it. I you know so you meet new people and one of the first things you'd probably do is share various stories, you know, and and that you know goes on to the next stage and the next stage and suddenly things have, have changed and attitudes have changed and all sorts of things. And I guess what was behind the question is, you know, people often say that we don't talk to each other or communicate as much as we used to do. It's perhaps a stereotype and that storytelling perhaps isn't as, particularly during a stage where we haven't seen each other as, as much as we did it's not um, something that's as important as perhaps it should be, but maybe it has to be organic. Maybe it cannot be forced. Uh, same to yourself, um, Raymond, what do you think about kind of uh, the year of uh, Scotland's year of stories, but also, um, you know, the importance of storytelling? I, mean, I think just, just like what we were saying, after a couple of years of, of, of not being able to tell those in, in-person stories and also feeling as if there wasn't any story progression for two years you know we sat in one room for that whole time and so a lot of people feel as if they're a bit um, 
almost betrayed or something because there's two years of life where there maybe wasn't much going on um and so to actually have now something to things to talk about again and to actually then go on a way i've got my own little story of the little journey that i went on while i was inside for two years i mean i i know that my show i hope before there's bloom it, it kind of comes from it's like a direct you know almost epilogue to two years of, of being inside and missing these connections you know the, the theme of the, the festival being reconnection and missing these connections and not really knowing how to deal with people or only dealing with people digitally and so when you make this sort of intense connection again you you know the the, the character and the story takes that off the charts you know it, it becomes so much more intense than what a connection might have been and their connection to the outdoors has changed their connection to themselves has been intensified by only knowing themselves for two years um and so i think it's it's interesting now to hear everybody's little individual story of, of what a, 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 you know a lockdown or a, a, a time that seems as if it was the same the whole time does to somebody um in terms of you know storytelling tradition and what it is nowadays um i mean I, I, if you look at sort of the, the the biggest parts of pop culture so i mean if you're talking about movies the biggest films are these kind of sagas that be going on for 10 years star wars or marvel whatever these are ongoing stories that people like this sort of continuous story if you talk about music um, I mean, a lot of my influence when it comes to storytelling is hip hop, which is like the biggest form of music in the, in the world mm-hmm. uh, in kind of the modern era. Um, and some of the best storytellers, my biggest influences are, are, are hip hop artists and rappers and, 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 and that's the, at the core of, uh, of hip hop. So I think it's still there. And then if we're talking about how we talk to each other, you know, I think we, we obviously still communicate that what that looks like is different. But it's now a lot of the time just like uh, almost code and you know emojis and memes and all these kind of things. But yeah, it's still yeah, yeah. it's still such an intricate, specific way of communicating. That's that there's a lot of there's still a lot of subtlety in. Um, however, obviously, all of that cannot be uh, re- replacing just face to face telling a story about what has happened. Um, that in itself is a is it's still needed without the spectacle and everything around it, um, which is so. I mean, uh, for me, this transition is going into a storytelling show. It's so vulnerable. It feels so vulnerable to just go, okay, I'm going to tell you how I felt and what happened to me, rather than hiding behind a character when I've done acting before, or rather than writing a short story and that can just be published and that can kind of hide behind the words. It's just me on stage going, oh yeah, I did feel this and uh, this is what happened. And like, okay, this is what you might think of me and I'm telling it to your face right now. And that's, that's scary. That I find that really, that, that right now, that's something that's quite terrifying. Um, but also just like, you know, it's obviously quite thrilling and it's obviously uh, intimate. It's, it's intimate. Yeah, Shona, what are you going to... Yeah, just as Raymond was saying, um, 
when we've all gone through a trauma together collectively this has happened mm -hmm. to us and when you're in the trauma the story hasn't formed yet we haven't created that narrative we work a lot with people that have experienced complex traumas that are then disenfranchised for many various reasons and um, but now we're coming out of it now is when the stories start to form and start to solidify and we start to process and understand what's just happened to us like Raymond's experiencing himself and so I think that's why it's particularly um resonant that this is the year of Scotland stories because we needed now we need to talk and now we need to start sharing the stories of what has happened we couldn't have done that last year yeah we're just opening ourselves up like physically social distance wise but also our, our sort of our hearts and our minds <laughs> well that's interesting it's almost learning how to do it from the beginning which is why uh divers a uh, project sounds so interesting because it's children are doing that They've, they've not had what's gone past. They're actually doing it from scratch in this slightly different world that we're all experiencing. So is that, do you think that's right, David? Do you think the year of, the Scotland's year of stories has come at exactly the right time for all of us, including, uh, you know, children, toddlers who are, are, you know, are learning for the first time? Yes, I think so. It's a very good time to have uh, this yeah to have focus on stories uh, throughout every field in Scotland and uh, um, yeah everyone from the born newborn babies but also to the children who uh, are in nurseries and in schools they had such a big trauma you know they were not able to go to the nurseries to the schools to see their uh, friends they were kind of playing on <laughs> at home by themselves and um, yeah and I think professionals can see how, how it affected them uh, mentally uh, psychologically and also uh, how it affected their language skills their literacy skills so it's very important to show and put the slide on on how stories and communication and this connection contact with people is important I'm, I'm so happy that we have this focus and there is this aspect to telling any story that is slightly performative to some degree to a greater or lesser degree and and that's something that uh, whether you know you're telling a story in the pub or whether you're on stage you know, doing it. And that's something that people are maybe not been used to recently as well. And it's what Shona was saying about, um, you know, opening up again. There's that aspect of just standing face to face with a group of people and being comfortable enough to tell the story in the way you want to tell it. Yeah, that's what we say in the Scottish storytelling community, that it's, it's eye to eye and heart to heart. And that's it, you're making eye contact and you're connecting emotionally with people. And storytelling, as you were saying at the very beginning, and Emma was saying, it's it's so innate, it's such a like such a human process that when you start telling stories, you're plugging directly into the human core emotions. You're not beating around the bush, you're not doing anything, you're going straight for love or you're going straight for pride or joy or like hero heroism or whatever. So it's a very immediate, direct communication with what it means to be human, like eye to eye, heart to heart. But also what you were just saying there about it, one of the beautiful things about storytelling that no other art form can do is that it can be the highest quality performance in any location. And I really mean any location. And that's we work 
in hospital beds we are like oh, beside hospital beds and then and then in prisons and libraries and theatres on buses on boats it can happen anywhere we just need us and the audience's imagination and an audience can be one person and that's enough and I mean I mean I said wrongly said in hospital beds obviously we don't do that but during the pandemic when I was working with people that had um, dementia or living with dementia we usually if they were going to come to one of our sessions they'd have to arrange transport they'd have to leave their homes and that can be really stressful yeah. but because of this online aspect suddenly I could actually talk to them wherever they felt most comfortable and sometimes that was in their jammies in their beds and that's completely appropriate and we'd get cuddled up and I would be on my sofa with a cup of tea and they'd be in their jammies in their beds comfortable as anything and we have this incredibly like powerful exchange that would never have happened in that kind of level of connection if we'd been in a in a community hall in plastic chairs that yeah. they're not used to so interestingly it did open up some potential storytelling spaces having to move online that we definitely didn't anticipate i think there's a universality even to the term that is that will allow people to be comfortable with it because we've all we know what storytelling is everyone knows how to tell, oh, everyone has told the story and has heard the story and all of that thing. Whereas people might say, oh, poet, writer, theater, actor, whatever it might be, they kind of go, oh, that's not me, that's not my thing. But as soon as you say, have you heard the story about, then immediately you've kind of gotten in there. But I also recognize what um, Raymond was saying about the kind of vulnerability when you're kind of putting your personal story out there. But I'm guessing the rewards you get from that are probably even greater because whether they don't say it at the time there'll be people that will be able to connect to something in your story something that they'll take away from it certainly hope so it's the the i mean we with my story it, the sort of thing that it explores a lot is is masculinity and the sort of original idea is or came from this notion of how men treat women and how men traditionally have treated the natural world overlaps somewhere. And so within my story, there is a lot of admittance of things I have done wrong as a man and things that I've, the way that I've treated people or the way that I've viewed um, women or the way that I've viewed the natural world even has came from a place of, you know, patriarchy or a place of uh, coming from a country that was a colonizer and and it, it, I think saying these things on stage to people some people that I know that won't know these things about me some people that I don't know that could make any judgment they wanted you know is uh, that the vulnerability and that is is um yeah like you said scary and I'm, I'm so interested to see what people's reactions may be um to the discussion of, of masculinity and going okay I know what I did was wrong and now like this is where I'm at now though so where, where do we stand here you know um, and I think again that's everybody has stories not nobody was has been perfect you know so everybody kind of has these ups and downs and that's that is the story that you know the redemption and, and, and the, the going wrong at some point. 
And I guess everyone's individual stories are constantly changing and constantly ongoing. Again, it's not a set text or a set script or whatever on the page. You know, you might do a similar show a week later and find that it's changed and developed. And it, Shona, you said your show is um, interactive and you're, you're, you're you know, working with the audience as well. So do you find every night it's a different night? Yeah, every single time. There's a couple of stories I've been telling a lot um, and some really beautiful traditional Scottish traveller stories. And every single time I tell it, the audience tell me something new about it. And I know that sounds like unbelievable, but it's true. There's another layer that they reveal for me, which is, yeah, it's really amazing. I, oh, I don't know if, if maybe at the end you, there's time for a very, very quick story. Well, possibly. We'll see. I, I, you see, you see. I'm concerned there is. But Emma, what were you wanting to say something? I was just thinking about how stories change as we tell them and change when the context in which we're telling them changes. And it made me think about Diva's show Wolf Girl, which is going to be on in the evening. And I'll let Diva tell you more about it. But when it was first developed, it had a very different resonance to it has now because of the way the world has changed since Diva started to create the show. And I just thought that might be a really interesting thing for us to, to, to think about as well. Diva, could you tell us about Wolf Girl? That'd be great. Yes, thank you, Emma, for mentioning that. So um, the Wolf Girl is very, um, very fragile story and very close to my heart because it's a story about my aunt. So it's uh, the main character is uh, my aunt, uh, but my uh, grandmother and grandfather is in the story and my um, great aunt is in the story. So it's kind of my family story. And the story is about, um, about what happens when the war is over, then what happens with people in certain areas and um, uh, it really I started this project just wanted to share as uh, giving a voice to um, refugee children from East Prussia uh, a place that used to be part of Germany before Second World War and now it's Russia it's Kaliningrad and um, the, the, the atrocities uh, the people experience in that area are just, just really horrible. And I think every war uh, has the same, the same um, um, script probably, uh, but uh, no one was listening to the stories of these children because they are the children of enemy, the children of German Nazis. And um, they are, quite common stories that they are orphans and they are um, just experiencing hunger. They don't have nothing to eat. It's very, it's freezing, it's winter. And the only solution is to, um, to flee and to flee to neighboring countries. And one of those countries is my home country, Lithuania. So my aunt, was one of those children. And these children have a special name. This name is called, this name is Wolfskinder. It's in German. So that means uh, wolf children. 
And it's a very strange name. Why would these children have such a name, wolf children? Because quite often you, uh, they were just um, um, going through the woods like almost wild animals looking for food, but also probably metaphorically, uh, Germany was had this image of a wolf, and these are the children of the kind of this um, unpleasant character from from the fairy tales. Quite often, wolves are portrayed very negatively in fairy tales. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so this is a story how my aunt Ingrid Traum, when she was 11 years old, on her own, um, reached um, Kovnas, my hometown, and she thought she just went to get some bread and she will come back, but she never came back. She stayed in Lithuania. So story is about hope as well because she found new home, she created new family, and uh, people she met, uh, they were also generous to her and they opened their door to her. So um, it's like, like now we see what's happening with uh, refugees around Europe probably, especially from Ukraine. People are open to Ukrainians and um, uh, I don't know, Poland, Lithuania, they really were so welcoming. Uh, I quite recently was in Lithuania, like Ukraine, flags of Ukraine is hanging everywhere. Um, Scotland is the same. You can see how much effort people uh, made into uh, donating and uh, um, welcoming refugees here. Unfortunately, the official politics is not so welcoming. Yeah. So with the recent um, <laughs> happenings, events in Ukraine, this story suddenly got totally a new, uh, new um, relevance, if you may. Um, when I created that story, I didn't want to show like that there is certain part is evil, like, you know, Russia is evil, Germany is also evil. Well, it was not about that, but now it's hard to talk about Russia in a very positive way. I don't know. Mm. I just still want to say that people uh, in their core, they are probably good, but this uh, mechanism of war, this industry of, of war, uh, probably can uh, bring out the beasts. And um, so as a person, I'm very much <laughs> with this story. I want to, to really focus on probably the hope and humanity side of us humans. And as well, just to say that no matter if we are winners or losers in war, actually everyone is losing. The winners are losing too. That sounds an incredibly powerful and, and poignant uh, a, a thing to be doing. Uh, and are you doing this yourself? How is it? How are you doing the show, Wolf Girl? 
So together with me, uh, uh, I have a, a singer, Agne Chapuitite. She is a classical opera singer, and yes, we we uh, will. Um, she will sing German songs, the ones that Ingrid's mother used to sing. So we are using um, kind of authentic um, songs. Um, but also we will sing Russian songs and Lithuanian songs as well. And uh, um, this is what I wanted to say that even if in the story you can see that Russian soldiers were really made really horrible things, but we actually are humans. They create beautiful lullabies. Mm. I think that just proves the point that there is almost as many ways to tell different stories as there are stories themselves, you know, and 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 yeah, that, that sounds like an amazing uh, a, a night. It actually brings me to the idea, apart from your own shows, are there other things that you're all looking forward to in the festival? Uh, is there anything that's kind of jumped out at you that you think, yeah, I would love to see that? Um, and I, I won't ask Emma this because she's looking after everyone and probably doesn't want to pick favourites, but uh, Raymond, start with yourself. I mean, for me, it's... It, it's just sort of getting stuck in and meeting other storytellers because relatively this is a new world for me. So, and, and I've always been a fan of storytelling and I've done bits and pieces of it before, but to just be a part of a festival where there's going to be so many other storytellers there, um, including these guys, and, and, and just to be around that and to start talking to people about okay how do we make stories and looking at them and, and now being in the mindset of oh I'm a, I'm a storyteller now okay I can watch these things from a different angle and, and learn from them um, is I just feel it's going to be a lot of fun and very uh, very interesting and, and invaluable to kind of this new whole side of my creativity that has been that has been commissioned by the village storyteller <laughs> but I think that I that Think about being in a room again with people and uh, as you said Trina, the eyes and the heart and connections and all of that is hugely important because of course you can write stories on the page you can probably even read them in audio versions and put them out uh, as, as podcasts or whatever but nothing kind of beats you being in the room I think with and 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 saying to the person beside you oh, what did you make of that what did you you know that kind of thing and I guess as you guys for performers getting that immediate reaction from from a group as well. Diva, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to aside from your own shows? Yes, I'm really looking forward for uh, for all the shows and uh, to see how other storytellers in Scotland doing at the moment and um, uh, at the moment, I was recently looking at the program and was thinking, could I be uh, come to see the um, show from Adverse Camber? Uh, it's a, a wonderful show uh, by. Oh, now I need to check the That's okay. <laughs> the program, the real, the, all the names. Sorry, mm. it's um, the gods are all, the gods. Yes, by Phil O'Quiddy. Yes, the gods are all here, Phil Okwadi. So uh, this one uh, is really looking 
forward to that. Uh, but also I'm looking forward to workshops and um, all workshops seems to be great. Like Thursday day uh, uh, about um, focusing on, on storytelling in conflicted world. And then we have storytelling and well-being and we have um, uh, storytelling and uh, how to deal with loss and grief and um, wonderful uh, storytelling workshops from um, in partnership with with uh, Aorus project probably it's a toolkit of applied storytelling which is something I'm really looking forward so I think it's very rich program uh, to be honest I would like to go to everything but it's impossible Unfortunately, it pretty much is, but I think you're right. It's a very rich program. Shona, yourself, is there anything that you've lots that you're looking forward to? Yeah, loads, yeah, loads of stuff. Diva and I are both, well, I'm an associate staff member of the village and Diva's a core staff member. So we're both run off our feet, to be honest. I'm, I'm doing four different events, which are completely different from young people to, to your early years children and, and, and people that are in a vulnerable situation to a project that, uh, that both Diva and I are going to be performing in on the Friday evening. Um, and it's called Women Who Give No Fs. Um, and it's all about it's six storytellers that sort of they each present a, a woman that doesn't care, does care, but you know, a great, incredible historic woman or a mythical woman. And, and we kind of the women compete against each other. So I think I'm going to be doing a Mary Barber story. It's a 10 minute thing. So that's a really lively thing on the Friday night. But um, I'm also really looking forward to the Kaliach, which is a uh, Kaliach is an ancient. Um, creator deity of Scotland which we can do a whole other podcast about her she's amazing but she, she was said to have created Scotland and we've almost all but forgotten this figure and she was so important and there's um I think it's Malfeater and Tobin somebody yeah and they're gonna do um a circus like a circus performance reflecting on this mythical character wow. I'm really looking forward to that but it's it's going to be great everything and Emma, is there any information that uh, we haven't given out that people should know about? Or maybe you could remind us about the, the, the main details. Yes, so the festival will be running from the 5th to the 10th of July. So it's in just over three weeks we're going to open our doors. We're very, very excited. Um, the main performances are all going to be at the CCA up in Sucky Hall Street. And there's also going to be an exhibition in Salt Space, which is on High Street, and there'll be a family day out in Pollock um, for the, the on the Sunday. Um, the tickets are in a pay what you can scale, so there's a variety of different price points so that everybody can um, hopefully make it along to stuff. There's also quite a few free events, um, and you can get tickets on the Village Storytelling Centre's website. Um, do you want me to tell you the website? Yeah, you could do that, but we'll put a link to it in the accompanying post. But uh, if you can do that, if you know it by art. There'll be a link in the accompanying post. That's fine. <laughs> no, no problem at all. We will make sure everything is linked to fully there, no bother. And we just love to see as many people there as possible. It's going to be a really great few days. Yeah, I mean, if, if you've listened to this or watched this, do go and check out the full programme because you're bound to find something that you want to go and see. Um, 
Well, thank you everyone for taking the time to chat. It's been a really fascinating talk. And now I think Shona promised us a story before we finished. Was that right? Did I hear that correctly? Oh, go on then. Right, I think that would be a great, way, a great way to finish. So thank you before we do that to Emma, to Diva, to Raymond and to Shona, who's about to give us a story. Thank you so much for having us. It's been lovely to have this conversation with you, Alistair. It's been an absolute pleasure. So this is a very short story that I heard from an incredible storyteller called Claire Murphy Mitchell. And she she's Irish. But when she told this story, in my head, it was about Castle Milk. So that's what you can imagine. But Castle Milk back in the day before there was sky rises and before, long before there was any buildings there, well, any big buildings, there was one little house, just one little house. And it was occupied by an older woman. And she had the most beautiful garden and she would work there most days. And she really loved looking over the city of Glasgow, which at that point was much, much smaller. And she used to enjoy watching the people pass into the city and give her bits of news and then come out maybe with something tasty for her to buy in exchange for some of her prize winning tatties. Um, it was a perfect location for her. And sometimes she could um, jump aboard a carriage and get a lift into town or get a lift back out when it was sunset. So one day she's in her garden and along comes a big stallion that's snorting out its nose thundering along approaching her and on the stallion is a, a, a guy who says woman you woman here is that Glasgow ahead and she says yes sir you found it and he says so what's Glasgow like then tell me tell me and she says well first tell me sir what's the place like that you're from and he says, ah, oh, the place I'm from is terrible. I tell you, it's terrible. The people are awful. They're mean. They, they, they just, they, they, they moan to each other. The weather is awful. The buildings are ugly. Where I come from is terrible. And she says to the man, well, I think you'll find Glasgow is, is something like that. And the man with a huff turns on his heel and heads, I'm away to Edinburgh, he says, as he gallops away. And not long after, she's um, cutting some herbs for her evening's potato salad mm -hmm. and another horse comes along and this time it's a polite cough excuse me madam excuse me um have i nearly reached glasgow is that glasgow ahead and she says aye it is you're nearly there and the person says can you tell me what is the city like and she says well first tell me what's it like where you're from and the person on the horse says oh where I'm from is wonderful do you know what it's wonderful people can't do enough for you even though we don't have a lot everything we have we share the weather is a bit rainy but that's what makes things grow and the buildings they're so well kept and she says to them well I think you'll find Glasgow something like that thank you very much says the person on the horse and off they go into the city and that's the end of that Thank you very much. What the perfect place to end. And we will be back soon with people completely different. Cheers. Yeah.